Good morning, everybody. This is another edition of the Passball Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com by Two Ways. One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. Also by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey. As we're looking at Periscope, taking a dump already. As, listen, let's be serious. Who wants to see my face anyway as we talk about baseball, sports, and unifying America? Just a reminder, like I said, anything that's on your mind, please let the show know. You could comment on Facebook Live, on Periscope. As well as give the show a call if you want, 732-364-3598. Amongst the topics we're going to talk about today, there's a there's a tweet that I saw where somebody basically copied a text that a young hockey coach got, a children's hockey coach got from another parent. And there's so many different dimensions and different ways that I want to get into it because I think there's some things that you can say both positively and negatively about this uh, piece of information come into light. We're going to do NFL picks a little later, which I'm going to do on the fly. We'll pick five more games. It actually seems to be the best way to go. The least that you think about it when you put together football picks, it seems like the better off you're going to be. Speaking of predictions, we're going to talk about the World Series. The overwhelming favorite in my mind, as far as what we're going to see in the World Series, is going to be a rematch. And between the two of them, you're going to talk about 48 World Series appearances and 38 World Series championships. So if that hasn't given it away already, I'm going to talk a little bit more about that in a little bit. Um, I'm going to play musical chairs. I'm going to throw eight managerial names out there, and I'm going to put them all into a new job. And I got eight candidates I'm basically going to slop them right in there and tell you who your next manager is going to be. Uh, the first thing I wanted to talk about today is if you happen to have a, a birthday that happens to be on October 12th, I got a list of some baseball players that you share a birthday with. And if you quote the great Blues Clues where every day is somebody's birthday, you could do this on anybody's given birthday and say, all right, well, if you were born on this day, you have the common birthday of the following major league players. And active players, Cattell Marte, who had a great year for the Arizona Diamondbacks, was born on October 12th. JT Riddle, uh, Miami Marlins infielder. Sal Romano, a relief pitcher from the Cincinnati Reds. And then former infielders, Jose Valentin and Tony Kubek, Former Major League pitchers, Sid Fernandez and Tanyan Sturtz. Hall of Famers, Joe Cronin and Rick Farrell. And former Cubs infielder, Glenn Beckert. So they all share the same October 12th birthday. Moving on, and once again, this copyright and broadcast is authorized under internet rights granted by the World Wide Web and the solely for entertainment of our audience. Any publication, reproduction, or other use of the pictures, descriptions, and accounts of this show without the express written consent of the Passball Show, JohnPLA.com, and JohnPLA LLC is prohibited. Any commercial use of the program, such as by charging, admission for showing, is similarly prohibited. So I was thinking about it, and you, know, you really break down these two national, the National League Championship Series and the American League Championship Series. 
and talk about a bunch of different angles. You can talk about the fact that the Dodgers aren't there, and yes, that is a surprise. You know, I have every right to be shocked when you look at that and you see that the Dodgers, who have been to the World Series representing the National League the last two years, are not there this year. And then you ask yourself, who is the next best team in the National League? You can talk about the Brewers, you can talk about the Braves, two teams that unfortunately don't have any more baseball to play. So when it comes to the Cardinals and the Nationals, the Cardinals, who I thought could win the National League, Central Division, and I did have them win in the division. But I knew it was going to be very competitive between them and Milwaukee and Chicago, and it surely was. It came down to the wire. There's things that I like about the St. Louis Cardinals, but also there's things that leave a little bit to be desired. I don't look at them as a big-time offensive team, so if we're talking about them getting some runs and coming through against a big-time pitcher... I don't know if they can necessarily do that. They have a series of players on that team that the back of the baseball card looks pretty good. You know, you can talk about Matt Carpenter, you can talk about Paul DeYoung, even Goldschmidt, and they've left, you know, some to be desired at certain points of the season. So I don't look at that team as a genuine offensive team. But, you know, as we talk about the Washington Nationals, what's their big bugaboo? What's the thing that gets in their way that has held them back this entire year? It's been their bullpen. And it's not for a lack of effort. General Manager Mike Rizzo has gone out there and has tried the best he can to improve the bullpen. He's shuffled relievers in and out. He's tried really everything that he possibly could. And then the brain trust in the Washington Nationals organization has decided to kind of piggyback some of their starters to go with whether it's Max Scherzer starting using Steven Strasburg in relief. Patrick Corbin used a couple times in relief over the course of the Cardinals series. So they're trying to do everything they possibly can to get themselves as deep into the playoffs as possible. Unfortunately, I look at this and I think that the shelf life of being able to piggyback your starting pitchers is only going to get you so far. At some point, the Washington Nationals relievers, the guys not named Daniel Hudson, who, yes, is on paternity leave right now. You could call it maternity leave, whatever. Uh, he wants to be there for the birth of his child. There's no issue with that in any way, shape, or form. Sean Doolittle, really the only reliever you could trust and go to. Now you're thinking about piggybacking starters in games two and three. And listen, Annabelle Sanchez, great job in game one. An excellent, excellent win for the Nationals. I don't know if this could hold up as we get through the course of seven games. So I look at two teams that I don't necessarily love. I don't necessarily look at both of these teams and say, you know what? These look like teams that could be the 2019 World Series champion. Hey, listen, stranger things have happened. Both these teams have made it this far. If they've made it this far, there's an absolute chance that they can go out there and win the whole thing. But I'm not necessarily in love with either one of those these teams. I think they both have major flaws. I think the biggest challenge, if you're talking about breaking down this series, is going to be the Cardinals' offense against the Nationals' bullpen. And the Nationals' bullpen, yes, it could be Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin pitching you know, after one of the starters. Or it could actually be the relievers that at some point Davey Martinez is going to have to run out there. But when I think of, you know, what I think of when, I, when I, I feel this series going out, I can see the Cardinals prevailing. I think home field advantage is a big thing, even though the Cardinals lost game one. So give me the Cardinals, who I'm going to tell you right now why they're going to be facing the New York Yankees in the World Series. And it's not because their dominance over the Minnesota Twins. You heard me talk about it last week, how much of a joke it was 
for the Twins to basically just roll out the red carpet, concede to the Yankees, saying basically, uh, as a franchise, we are afraid of you Yankees. We don't think you. we have any chance to beat you. We're going to make this into a charade, into a human interest story, running out, you know, Dobnar in game two, which was an absolute joke. Uh, I can't, you know, disrespect the Minnesota Twins anymore. Listen, they had a good season. They won 100 games. Good for them. But they, they had no interest in competing against the New York Yankees. And I'm not going to use that as my way of saying that the New York Yankees are so much superior to the Houston Astros. I think it's going to come down to game one. Zach Greinke in Houston, and I know the Astros have the best record in Major League Baseball at home and you know have been as dominant of a home team as we've seen in many, many years. If the Yankees win game one, I think the Yankees can win the series in five. If they win with... Greinke on the mound for the Astros can win game three at home with the energy of their fans with Garrett Cole on the mound. Game four, the Astros have to go to a number four starter, whether it's uh, you know the, the guy that starts with a U, the reliever, or Miley, you know, Wade Miley in game four. It's a very good chance for the Yankees to win. So I can see three games right there. And if they're up 3-1 going into game five at Yankee Stadium, I think that's their opportunity to take the series. Not letting it go back into Houston where you're going to go up against Verlander and Cole in game six and seven. So I think it's very imperative for the Yankees to get off to a good start. It's very imperative for the Yankees to win game one. And I could certainly see them doing that. And I think absolutely under no circumstances am I going to look at this series any different if the Astros happen to win game one. If the Astros win game one, listen, I think there's a little more pressure on the Yankees to win game two. If the Yankees fall behind 0-2 going into Yankee Stadium, it's the Astros series to win. Because right there, you're guaranteeing that if the Yankees are going to compete, it's going to have to go at least six games. You're going to have to go back into Houston. So give me the Yankees in five because I think they're going to win game one. I think they're going to win game three and four. And all of a sudden, the Astros down 3-1 in Yankee Stadium game five. I think the Yankees will pull it off. So we're looking at a potential World Series preview of two of the more storied franchises in the history of Major League Baseball, the two most successful franchises in Major League Baseball history. And listen, I've said all along that I'd like to see some of the other teams catch up. I'd like to see some of the other teams go out there and win. Astros-Nationals will be a nice World Series. The Astros have only been there twice. Nationals have never been there I'd like to see some of these teams come out there and get themselves a World Series championship. You know, have the fans give give themselves something to celebrate. I don't want to see the Yankees and the Cardinals play in the World Series. We saw it in 1942. We saw it in 1943 and 1964. The Cardinals winning in 1942 and 1964. Yankees in 1943. But You talk about getting to the World Series 58 times, which between the two teams they have, the Yankees getting there 40 times, the St. Louis Cardinals getting there 18 times. You can talk about the Yankees and their history of winning World Series championships starting in 23 and 27, 28, 32, 36, 37, 38, 39, 41, 43, 47, 49, 50, 51, 52, 53, 56, 58, 61, 62, 77, 78, 96, 98, 99, 2000, and 2009. 
And the Cardinals winning, of course, in 26, 31, 34, 42, 44, 46, 64, 67, 82, 2006, and 2011. You talk about the amount of times that they have lost. You're just talking about 58 of the well over 100 World Series that there's ever been. And outside of the three where they played in a World Series together. That means 55 other World Series have had either the Yankees or the Cardinals in it. And very seldom do you talk about the fact that the New York Yankees have lost World Series in 21, 22, 26, 44, 55, 57, 60, 76, 81, 2001, and 2003, and the Cardinals losing World Series in 28, 43, 68, 85, 87, 2004, and 2013. That's a combination of 20 World Series that the Yankees and the Cardinals have lost. And if there is a Yankees-Cardinals World Series this year, that means one of those teams is going to lose another World Series. This is the famous Budweiser beer. We know no brand produced by any other brewer to cost so much to brew and age. Our exclusive Beechwood Aging produces a taste of smoothness and drinkability. You'll find a no beer at any cost. So here's where I'm going to throw out eight names. And each one of these names is going to be the answer to who the next manager is going to be of the eight managerial vacancies that exist in Major League Baseball. So you know the Padres, the Giants, the Pirates, the Cubs... <clears throat> excuse me, still getting over this cold, the Mets, the Phillies, the Royals, and the Angels will all be looking for new managers. And I'm predicting eight managers, or eight men, will be the next manager of one of these teams. We're going to start with Buck Showalter, Joe Girardi, Ron Washington, Brad Ausmus, Joe Madden, Carlos Beltran, Mike Matheny, and Hensley Mullen. So only Beltran and Mullen's will be managing a team for the first time. And I'm going to play this match game right here in front of you as we move on right now. And I'm going to start out with Buck, because I think Buck Showalter, you know, is probably one of those managers that if you look at his track record, you look at the way the game has changed with the analytics, with the kind of changing the way that managers' roles are to be stated. Now, it's not going to resonate well with the fans because the fans still want to blame the manager for everything. They think that every single thing that happens over the course of a baseball game is the fault of the manager. No, it isn't. It's the manager It has some responsibility, but is part of the collaborative effort that exists between the manager and the front office and the analytics staff and even the coaching staff. But there's still fans, no matter how many times you say it, no matter how many times you put it in a ball and throw it over their head to beat them with it, they're still not going to understand that. They still think, hey, something doesn't go right. Let me go bully the manager because that's what fans do. But so when we're talking about the next eight whipping boys as they exist in Major League Baseball, the next eight men to be bullied by their respective fan bases. And Buck Showalter, because of the changes in the game, looks like he's a guy that may be phased out. The Buck Showalter uh, view of managing is more old school than new school. But He's incorporated analytics. You kind of saw that during his time with the Baltimore Orioles. Unfortunately, it didn't end too well because, you know, the talent pretty much got stripped right out from under him. So if I'm telling you that Buck Showalter is going to get a job in Major League Baseball as a manager, where is he going to go to? And I'm going to put his name in right here with the Philadelphia Phillies. I'm giving Showalter to the Phillies. 
Now I'm going to go with Brad Ausmus, an ex-former manager, who I think is going to get a job in Major League Baseball. And I think there's a perfect fit here between him and his hometown of San Diego. He's a San Diego guy, obviously, you know, very smart man, could have gone to Dartmouth, decided that he was going to sign a contract with the New York Yankees to be a Major League catcher, ended up having a really long career, a little bit of a stint in Detroit, took them to the playoffs. Unfortunate situation with the Angels last year, only lasted one year. I think he's going to get back of his horse, on his horse. Give me Ausmus in San Diego. So that leaves me an easy one, Joe Madden. The more you hear, the more you hear is a foregone conclusion. They're pretty much concluding token interviews with the Los Angeles Angels. And pretty much the reason that Brad Ausmus was let go as a manager of the Angels is so Joe Madden can go there and take over in Los Angeles with the Angels. Next one that I think is going to be pretty easy, um, Mike Matheny. Pretty much groomed to take over for Ned Yost. He took a job in the front office as an assistant to general manager Dayton Moore. It was announced, even though the media didn't really grab it, that Ned Yost was probably leaning towards retiring after the 2019 season. He, oh yes, he made it official near the end. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's one piece of the puzzle looking to kind of fit in with another piece of the puzzle. Matheny was brought in there, and unless for some reason he disappointed, unless he did an absolute... Terrible job, unless there was an awful connection between him and Dayton Moore, and he embarrassed himself there. He's going to get the job, so give me Mike Matheny in Kansas City. So we're halfway through this. Um, there's an interesting one here, because we're going to talk about Joe Girardi. A lot of people want Joe Girardi with the Mets. I kind of do, but I don't think the Mets are looking to pay, and I think it's going to be very interesting to see how this works out. Eight hours... Joe Girardi spent interviewing with the Chicago Cubs. And unless he, pretty similar to Matheny, embarrassed himself, I'm sure Theo Epstein and his staff were allowed this interview to go on as long as it did because they wanted to make sure that when they made this choice, they made the right one. So I think Joe Girardi is going to end up with the Cubs in Chicago. So what does that leave? That leaves Pittsburgh. And I think Pittsburgh is going to go a little outside the box here. A guy who I've been clamoring for, who I feel should have been a major league manager a couple of years ago, had a very good year run with the Texas Rangers, five straight winning seasons, four straight 90-win seasons, two straight World Series appearances. And I think he should be behind the bench managing a team. So I'm taking Ron Washington, that card, and I'm putting him right there with the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I don't know how it's going to work out there because I don't think the outlook of the Pittsburgh Pirates is really good. Kind of highlighted with the Austin Meadows, Tyrell Glassner, tra Glassner trade, you know, the Garrett Cole trade, a couple of deals that ended up not working so well for them. They're not in a very good spot, but I think Washington's got the ability to get something out of the clubhouse. I think you could change some of those culture issues that exist there, which I don't think were necessarily the fault of Clint Hurdle. But a guy like Kyle Crick, you got to take his ass and get him out of there. Felipe Vasquez, you got to get rid of him. All the cancers that exist in the clubhouse with the Pittsburgh Pirates, you have to really try hard and make sure that these guys are out. Get them out of there. Get the cancers out of there so you can manage the team. Ron Washington in Pittsburgh. I'm going to go Hensley Mullins with the San Francisco Giants. And then I'm going to go with Carlos Beltran with the New York Mets for this reason. Mullins, first of all, 
was a candidate to be the Yankees manager, and I thought he had a very good chance of getting it. It seems like he impressed the Yankees brass when he was meeting with them, a very good mixture of old-school baseball and analytics and some good ideas, and a guy that I, I really think can fit the bill of the modern-day Major League manager. And I think that's what the Giants are looking for. The Giants are looking for a first-time manager. They're not looking to pay a guy a whole lot of money. And obviously, when you're talking about the Mets, the fact that they got to pay Mickey Callaway to not be their manager in 2020, I think that's something that means something to the Wilpons. And I think the Wilpons are going to shy away from paying that four or five million a year that it would cost to get to sign and hire Joe Girardi or Buck Showalter. That's why I think the Cubs are going to get Girardi because they're going to pay him. That's why I think the Phillies are going to get Buck because they're going to pay him. The Mets are not willing to pay that manager four or five million plus another million or so for Mickey Callaway to not be their manager. I think Carlos Beltran is a good, inspirational New York story, a guy who spent seven years of his career with the Mets. His return, I think, can get some good back pages in the New York papers, some good publicity. And I think you could talk about the mending of a relationship, which we may talk about being a little bit toxic at times with the Mets, but maybe mending itself and starting a new chapter in a new generation. So give me Carlos Beltran with the New York Mets. So in a little bit, we're going to talk about the. Um, sorry, we're going to talk in a little bit. We're going to talk about a uh, a hockey coach that is under a little bit of pressure, basically because somebody decides to make some racist calls out against them. So we'll talk about that in a little bit. But now we're going to start out. With our NFL picks for week number six of the National Football League. And like I said, the, the least that I break them down, the least time that I spend talking about them, and the least time that I spend thinking about them, I'm gonna, the, is going to be a better chance than I get. First one that kind of stands out to me as we're in week six of the National Football League, you got Houston traveling to Kansas City. And I know there's some people that are down on the Chiefs couple uninspired performances in a row, including a loss to the Indianapolis Colts, but I think they're going to bounce back big time. I know that Tyreek Hill is questionable. He may not play. Sammy Watkins is going to be out, but I think this is the day that Patrick Mahomes says, listen, I'm facing a little bit of adversity. Some people for the first time since I started being the quarterback of the Kansas City Chiefs are starting to doubt me. I think he comes up big against Deshaun Watson. And Houston Texans. So give me Kansas City at home minus four against the Houston Texans. Next game, you got two winless teams. You got Washington going to Miami against the Dolphins. And the Redskins not getting a whole lot, but that's also because the Redskins are going through turmoil themselves. They decided to fire their coach. They look like one of the worst teams in the National Football League. And odds are, unless they were, if they were playing any one of the other teams, for the most part, they would probably be expected to lose. They're favorited by three and a half at Miami, but Miami is that bad. Give me Washington at Miami minus three and a half. Next game we're going to jump on. I got New Orleans traveling to Jacksonville. And this is interesting because I think if you look at the Jaguars at home, you got the Saints without Drew Brees. They haven't quite been the same without him. And you wonder with Gardner Minshew, is there magic there? 
Are you looking at a team that is getting some help from a new quarterback, a young quarterback, a guy that may not have been considered an NFL guy? Give me Jacksonville minus two and a half at home against New Orleans. And I, I think that's going to be a surprise. Um, you got Seattle traveling to Cleveland. And there's a lot of people that are going to jump on the bandwagon here. Because they look at Cleveland as a kind of a bounce back type of team. A team that couldn't have looked any more uninspired last week. And I think they're starting to combust a little bit. But, you know, you look at Seattle on the road, maybe a little bit of a different team. I think they go and they stick it to them. Give me Seattle minus one and a half at Cleveland. So the last game that we're going to pick, as we're capping up the PBS picks for week number six in the National Football League, Tennessee is traveling to Denver. And I haven't picked the, tech, the Titans at all this year. I think they've been a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde type of team. But they're getting points on the road in Denver. I think they can go out there, have a big performance. That'll be my upset of the week. Give me Tennessee plus one and a half at Denver. So the PBS picks for week number six of the National Football League. I got Kansas City minus four at home against Houston. We got Washington minus three and a half at Miami. Jacksonville minus two and a half at home against New Orleans. Give me Seattle minus one and a half at Cleveland. And Tennessee plus one and a half at Denver. And we finished it within the confines of this song here. Once again, this is the Past Fall Show brought to you by JohnPLA.com, by St. Aloysius Church and School in Jackson, New Jersey, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And just a reminder that Castro provides maximum protection against viscosity and thermal breakdown. So I'm going to try to find this tweet if I can, as we're looking for it right now, and uh, basically give you a little bit of the Cliff Notes version as we try to search it here. Hockey Coach, let's see if it comes up. Maybe, yes, no. And I'm going to paraphrase it, like I said, giving you the Cliff Notes version. A young father, I guess, has a, a son that's playing hockey. He's not happy that the coach happens to have darker color skin, happens to be Muslim. And he prefaces everything he's saying by trying to claim that he is not a racist. And I'm going to read it. This is actually comes from Chase, who is Riley's dad. Hi. I just wanted to express how I feel about you as my son's hockey coach. I'm not racist or anything, but I don't feel comfortable with you teaching him and the influence you will have on him. Is hockey right? Question mark. It makes more sense if it's not some Muslim guy teaching it. He continues. If it was cricket or something, that would be different, but it's not. I don't want to make this into an issue and really hope you would consider resigning and not coaching hockey. It goes against tradition, and I'm sure there are others who feel the same way. I really don't want to put, pull my son from the team either, but would have to think about it if you're the coach. So this is a guy that decides that because the coach has darker color skin and the coach is Muslim, that he has no business coaching his young son. 
So Riley, you kind of feel bad for Riley because his dad just, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to get it. Obviously, the vitriol, the hatred that really comes from that statement. And there's no way that you could set it up to where it's not as hurtful or as hate intended as it comes out. But he tries. If you look at it, he tries to claim that he's not a racist. He tries to claim he's not trying to start trouble, but that's exactly what he is trying to do. Now, obviously, listen, I could go on and on and on and tell the audience what they already know. This guy is a jerk. This guy is living in an age where he is not understanding that everybody was created equal by God and that if you happen to have darker color skin and you happen to be Muslim, certainly doesn't mean that you can't coach hockey. So those are the easy parts of it. But, <coughs> excuse me, the one part of it that I don't think a lot of people understand is that this man may not necessarily be as hate-induced as it's perceived. And I'm not sticking up for him by any way, shape, or form. He is a racist. He is a bad person. He has ill feelings. He does not understand that everybody is created equal. But I think in his own mind, he may not necessarily believe that. When he says that he is not racist, I don't think he believes that he is racist. And this is part of the problem when we talk about prejudice and discrimination and racism as it exists in this country. Because I think there's a lot of people that don't understand, number one, what it means. And number two, they have twisted whatever their views and their own prejudices and their own stereotypes into a point where they believe them and they don't believe that there's anything wrong with it. And that's what the problem is with this man. But the positive thing that I'll say, and I'll conclude this whole thing by talking about this part of it, because I think this is the most important aspect of it that we can understand, is that social media, um, being able to share things out there, have really put more people that have these ill-fated views kind of out there in the open for the public to know. So a lot of people may have some feelings like that, may be more inclined to hold it in and not act like that. And number two, those that do will be exposed and we're starting to see that there are less and less people that have these hatred, this hatred, this vitriol, this disgusting thought that not everybody was created equal. So I think the fact that this is getting exposed, hopefully, you know, Chase can have this rude awakening and maybe change his life and change his views and allow his son to be coached by this man and maybe gain a new sort of respect for him. Maybe the embarrassment of this going viral and being out there and kind of thrown in his face. Hopefully the other parents can see what this guy feels and treat him accordingly. I'm not asking for him to be assaulted. I'm not asking for him to be hurt, but you know, he should get the side eye from the other parents. Who should not get the side eye from the parents is the kid, Riley. You're talking about a, a little boy, probably just wants to go out there and play hockey. Now, yes, it, it is over time, the influence of his father likely to kind of go with the kid. Kids are more than likely to listen to their parents even when they're teaching them the wrong thing. That's all true, but you can't blame a 12-year-old because his father is a jerk. And I think that's the one thing that you hope 
with the viralness and the fact that this you know tweet this text you know became a tweet and it's kind of going into the viral world that the parents the son of of the the guy that's making these comments doesn't take any undue criticism doesn't get bullying because you know you bully a kid because his dad's a jerk makes you no better than the dad that's a racist if you're gonna bully a kid because his dad's a jerk and i'm saying it again is no different than the dad being a racist a little bit of a recap of the show today and as always i want to thank everybody for tuning in this is the past ball show Brought to you by JohnPielli.com, by Two Ways, One Passion Food Truck, located in Scranton, Pennsylvania. We started a show today talking about October 12th birthdays. And if your birthday is October 12th, you share it with Hall of Famers Joe Cronin and Rick Farrell, former Cubs infielder Glenn Beckert, Arizona Diamondbacks infielder, outfielder Cattell Marte, former Mets and Brewers and White Sox infielder Jose Valentin, former Yankees shortstop Tony Kubek, former Mets pitcher Sid Fernandez, former Major League reliever Tanyan Sturtz, and current Major League infielder J.T. Riddle, and current Major League pitcher Sal Romano. Yankees-Cardinals at market. That's going to be the World Series. Fourth time you're going to see Yankees-Cardinals, teams that have combined for 58 pennants and 38 World Series championships. Yes, market. That's a rematch. That's going to be this year's World Series. NFL picks there on JohnPielli.com. And then I'm going to put the match game that I did today with the Major League Managers, Buck Showalter, Joe Girardi, Ron Washington, Carlos Beltran, Brad Osmus, Joe Madden, Mike Matheny, Hensley Mullins. They're going to be your eight new Major League Managers. See where I place them on JohnPielli.com. As always, thank you for joining in to the, joining into the Pass Ball Show today. Um, God bless you. And as always, I'll see you on the other side.